0: hi everyone good evening today's topic is how to raise resilient children so the great news is that kids are actually born with resilience we don't have to go anywhere to teach them resilience we don't have to go anywhere to get them resilience they're actually born resilient, and we can look at this and see this very clearly when you look at babies when they start to developmentally be able to do things like walk they try to walk they fall And they never stay there, they always get up. So some babies get up an hour later and some babies get up a minute later and some babies get up a week later. But everyone is hardwired and we have a mechanism in us already at birth that makes us strong and resilient. The only thing that takes us away from that resilience as people get older, you know, as people enter toddlerhood, is their thoughts. They start to think About problems they start to develop thoughts about the world around them and thoughts about themselves that they basically get from the people around them so there are two main things that a resilient person knows and thinks and those two points are I am 100% valuable and the other one is I am 100% okay in this world and again babies know this already from birth and we just need to foster it so Even if a child is, you know, now 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old and presenting as not a resilient child, it's okay because they have it in them. We just need to uncover it and help bring it out in them. So how do we get kids to believe that they are 100% valuable? So the way kids know that they're really valuable is by how we interact with them. Now, all kids present with different struggles. I mean, once in a while, you know, we come across a kid that's, you know, super easy in every area of their life. But most kids have um, struggles in some sort of area or another. Every human being comes into this world with their own unique set of gifts and challenges. Now, when the child presents a challenge, specifically a challenge to us as parents, if we view the child as a very big problem as opposed to as a very big person, the child's self-esteem becomes at risk and then the child starts to wonder, am I capable of doing hard things? Am I capable of being resilient? Am I capable of being strong? Am I capable of accepting challenges? But if when a child presents with challenging behaviors, we see them as a very big person as opposed to a very big problem, so they think that about themselves also. They think, okay, so I have a challenge, but, you know, my mother's not worried. When I look at her face, you know, I'm not seeing any facial expressions that are showing me that she's concerned that I'm having a challenge. She actually thinks it's perfectly normal and perfectly human for me to be having these challenges. And, uh, you know, there's no problem over here at all. So then my, my regular resilience that was already hardwired and planted into me now could come to the forefront. So imagine a ruler uh, imagine a 10-inch ruler and on the left side is uh, I'd like to write the words big problem and on the right side by the number 10 is big person the left side is zero big problem and the right side is 10 big person so if you want to try to think to yourself when your child presents with problematic behaviors what are you seeing your child as so you know when I first started thinking of these concepts you know when my kids were much younger I was really mistakenly viewing the kids as a very big problem when they were fighting with each other, when they were being disrespectful, when they were being unkind. I was thinking, wow, there's like a very big problem here. And then, you know, I was giving those vibes over to the kids, and they were getting that. And then once they put themselves in that role of, I am a problem, so now they shut down in their ability to be resilient. But once I was able to realize that really I was only thinking that they were a big problem because of my own insecurities. I was actually able to recognize the idea that there's no problem here at all, that the child specifically is presenting now with struggles or problems or difficulties, whatever you want to call them, that are simply an opportunity for me as a mother to give to the child and to become an even greater person. So instead of thinking, why is the child doing this, I want everyone to start rephrasing the words in your brain to what does the child need. So a child is, um, you know, taking a long time to get dressed in the morning. Instead of thinking, what is the problem? What does the child need? Maybe the child needs skills. Maybe the child needs support, right? Maybe the child doesn't feel like he or she is capable and needs to stop looking at the child as a problem. Um, A child is having difficulty being kind to siblings. So I want to think to myself, instead of what is the problem? Why is she doing this? I want to think to myself, what does she need? Maybe she's not feeling secure. Maybe she doesn't realize that she has everything she needs, and she doesn't have to have what her sisters need. Whatever skill it is that she's missing or whatever support it is that she needs, now I can think what I could give to her instead of why is she doing this. In order for our children to be able to engage in resilient behaviors, they must have this foundational piece of I I'm a valuable human being. A lot of times, parents will ask me, you know, how do I get my child to do this behavior, or my child is, you know, struggling with that behavior. And the first thing I'll ask is, how does the child feel about himself? And you know, if the parent looks at me and says, "Shaky, uh, not the greatest self-esteem," number one, that's the foundation. If you're trying to build behaviors without making sure that the child feels like a tremendously valuable human being, it's as if we're trying to build the the floors of a building, the stories of a building, without building the foundation of the building. The foundation must be very, very strong in order for the child to be able to engage in healthy behaviors. And what happens to people who think they're not valuable? People who think they're not valuable, they grow up um, later on in life or even in their childhood or in their you know teenage years. They they struggle with all different types of um, sad, you know, uh, sad feelings that they think they can't manage or sometimes addictions or sometimes, uh, you know, anxieties or as they get older to be even, you know, uh, insecurities in relationships, different things come up. It's extremely, extremely important for children to know their inherent value. Now, sometimes it may look to us as if their resilience is not there, but I like to give a metaphor that describes all of a human being's default settings. We all have default settings. We all came into this world with common qualities. You know, we each are unique in our own way. Some of us are more outgoing. Some of us are less outgoing. Some are more artistic. Some are less. Some are more musical. Some are less. Some are more expressive. Some are less. But there are certain basic default settings that are hardwired into every single human being on planet Earth. And I'll give you a few of them. One of them is resilience. But it's happiness. It's resilience. It's resilience it's security, it's confidence, all those things are already there. When a six-month-old baby cries for a bottle, we give the six-month-old baby the bottle, the baby stops crying. Us as adults, when our needs are met, we start to think, oh, are my needs going to be met tomorrow? Oh, are my needs going to be met next week? Babies don't do that. Babies are secure. We give them the bottle, they had a physical need, They got it. You don't start to wonder, is my mother going to take 10 minutes to bring my bottle next time? I hope the formula tastes good next time. Whatever it is, the child is secure. Children are resilient. So when we don't see the resilient, I'll give you the metaphor of how a sun never disappears. The sun is always there, right? I'll even take kids outside sometimes on a cloudy day and I'll say, look outside. Do you see the sun? They say, no. I say, do you think for a moment that the sun is not there? They say, of course not. The sun is there. It's just hiding behind the clouds. Right. So what's going to happen when the clouds pass? We're going to see the sun again. So we we teach children, your happiness, your security, your resilience, your confidence is already there. Right now, it may be being blocked by thoughts. Our thoughts are the clouds. The thoughts are, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not resilient, I can't do this, this is too hard, I'm not strong. All those kinds of things are thoughts, but thoughts come and go all day long, and we may not be able to control the first moment when they come into our minds but we definitely can decide if we engage with them or if we simply wait for them to pass the way that the clouds pass over the sun. Now, sometimes we have our own emotional roadblocks as parents that stop us from embracing our children as super, you know, as super valuable human beings. It's not a problem when we get those feelings, it's only a problem to engage with them. So I can start to feel like it's terrible that my child is doing this, or it should be that my child is it. That's all personal thinking. That's all made-up thought. Whenever I'm recognizing that I'm having an unhelpful thought, and there really are only two types of thoughts. There's helpful and there's unhelpful. When I'm having an unhelpful thought, like this is terrible, it should be that, it's okay. I'm a human being. I'm not a couch. I'm going to have thoughts. I just don't have to engage with it. I saw a cute cartoon actually yesterday that um, it showed, it was two separate, it was a paper that was folded in half. On one side of the paper, there was a person with lots of thought bubbles above their head, you know, anxiety and fear and sadness and all this kind of stuff. And then on the other side of the paper was exactly the same, anxiety, fear, sadness, all these difficult thoughts. And on one side of the paper, the person was holding up an umbrella And it was very dark. And on the other side of the paper, the person was relaxing on a beach. So the reason the person was able to relax on the beach is not because they don't have those thoughts. Everybody has difficult thoughts sometimes. Everybody has, you know, difficult emotions sometimes. It's the idea that it's not me. It's just my emotions. It's just my thoughts. Once I recognize that it's just my thoughts and that it will pass just the same way that clouds always pass over the sun, then I could more quickly and more easily get to my natural state of resilience, security, happiness, joy. Now, our kids have to know that nothing will ever change my opinion about you. No matter what you do, my opinion of you will always be the same. I expect you to make mistakes. I don't get moved when you make mistakes. Now, of course, we have to guide our children. That's our responsibility. It's our job. Sometimes they need you know, help to, if they go off track and they need, to be help, you know, they, they need help getting back on track. But the idea is that it's not going to change my opinion of you, and you are actually perfectly capable of getting back on track yourself. You can figure this out. The way that we engage with the child and the way that we interact with the child, we want to use words that show you are capable of figuring this out. So let's say, for example, a child is repeatedly involved in a certain misbehavior. Right? So a lot of times parents will go over to the child during them the favor and say to the child, "Could you stop doing this? or haven't can tell you? And that sends a message to the child of, "You're incapable of respecting other people's feelings or you're incapable of figuring this out yourself, so I have to tell you in this condescending kind of way that you need to stop." So what do we do instead? We go over to the child when, you know, I the mother am in a great mood and the child is in a great mood, and I say the following words. "I know you don't mean to. Sometimes when you do that to your brother, let's say that's a difficult behavior, sometimes when you do that to your brother, it is hurtful to him. Would you be able to try your best to stop? So now what you're doing is you're trusting the child. You're believing in the child. Like, you're a perfectly capable human being. You care about people around you. So I'm just telling you that it bothers them because for sure you didn't mean to bother anybody. And then I'm saying to you, would you be able to kindly try to stop? And the child's of course, going to say, yeah, sure, Now, what happens the next day if the child, you know, engages in that behavior again? So you very simply, you go over to the child because you are believing in your head that the child is perfectly capable of being respectful to other people and perfectly capable of being accountable for what they commit themselves to. So you go to the child and you very kindly and very gently say, you know, yesterday you told mommy that you were really going to try to work hard on that. What happened? You're just saying, what happened? Not in a judgmental way. You're just like, so the child might say, I forgot. Oh, okay. Everybody forgets sometimes. What you're doing over there is you're allowing the child to know that, I am, that they are 100% valuable. That is how you want them to, so to speak, graduate from their childhood. You want them to graduate from their childhood knowing I am 100% valuable. And the other thing is I am 100% okay. We discussed that at the beginning. Kids who are resilient know that they are 100% okay 100% of the time. So I'll give you an example. One of my own kids, I had an interesting experience. He learns this. You know, my kids hear me talking about these kind of things all the time. They hear me on the phone or they, you know, they, they hear me giving presentations or whatever it is. So they know these concepts very well. So a few months back, I left the house for a couple of hours one morning and my young teenager got locked in his room. The door got stuck. And when the door got stuck, it, it was, it must have been the heat. I don't know exactly what it was. He couldn't open it at all. I came back an hour and a half later, so he was locked in his room for an hour and a half. Now, I came back, and I was saying, oh, my goodness, are you okay? I feel so bad, and, you know, I was forgetting that, you know, he's very resilient. You know, if I would be remembering that he's very resilient, I would be more emotionally with him. I would be saying, like, wow, that must have been so hard for you. Wow, I can't believe you got through this. Look at you. Look how strong you are. You know, get him a cup of water and see if he needs anything and all that kind of stuff. And I just said, you know, I was kind of freaking out, and I said to him, oh, my goodness, you know, You were locked in your room for an hour, hour and a half. Like, how did you do that? And, you know, I really, um, you know, reacted in a way where where I thought he wasn't okay. And he actually said to me, Ma, it's fine. I was locked in the room for an hour and a half. I was hot and I was bored. It's fine. It's okay to be hot and bored. And I was like, wow, that was such a success story to me. He, that is the epitome of resilience. He is 100% okay, 100% of the time. We all are but we don't always know it because our thoughts take us away from that. So he was able to experience that discomfort and realize, in the moment of this discomfort, I am 100% okay. Um, Kids have to also know that hard work is something that's good for us. Dr. Martin Seligman, he's the founder of Learned Helplessness, he wrote this book called The Optimistic Child, And what he did was, he looked around in the 1960s, you know, two decades after World War II, and he said, what is going on in America? Why is it that people are so down? Like, why is there so much depression in America today? It doesn't make any sense. And when he did his research, he found that the value system changed. It was a different value system than it was, you know, for the first few thousand years of, of, of the world. It used to be that the value system was do for your country, do for your family, take care of yourself. And then suddenly, when people became depressed for understandable reasons after World War II, in America, the whole culture system changed to indulge yourself, eat, drink, and be merry. The, The American dream became, you know, that when you're 65 years old, you should sit back, retire, and do nothing. And, you know, he found in his research that that actually creates a lot of negativity and depression and sadness and people actually feel unfulfilled. You know, we tend to go coddle our kids when they're having intense emotional reactions to something. We're always afraid and we always think they always have to be comfortable and we run to save them. But the truth is we actually want our kids to know that they are hundred percent okay even when they're having very strong and intense feelings. So when a child is, you know, crying about something or screaming about something, instead of going over to the child you know, and and saying like, um, oh, let me do this for you. Oh, let me make it better for you, you know, in this way. Of course, we want to be there for the child and get the child a cup of water and show the child that we're there for them. Absolutely, absolutely. We also want to make sure that we're allowing them to feel the feelings. Don't be afraid of the feelings. You could put the child on your lap. You could allow the child to feel the feelings. You know, I had this actually with my three-and-a-half-year-old a couple of days ago. She was very upset about something. She you know, she, she shared her Gatorade. She had this drink and she shared it with, you know, a bunch of her siblings and, you know, there's a neighbor and she was pouring it into everybody's cups and she found at the end that she didn't have the amount of Gatorade for herself that she wanted. So she was crying about it for a long time. So typically, you know, uh, an initial response of a parent would be something like, but you're the one that gave it out. You know, you didn't have to give it out to all your friends and siblings and you didn't have to give it out. That was your choice. That was what you did. But what would I be teaching her if I would say that? I would be teaching her that she should be walking away from her problems with solutions, that we should be like shutting her her, problems, sorry, she should be walking away from her feelings with solutions, that she should be shutting down her feelings. Now, we want to be able to identify when kids are talking if they're speaking from a place of emotion or if they're speaking from a place of intellect, if they're just intellectually asking us a question like, oh, mom, would you be able to get me some more Gatorade? So then I answer them, you know, with a rational response, yes or no. But if the child is coming from an emotional place, you know, of being very upset about her decision, about, you know, I really feel bad that I gave it out to everybody. I didn't have enough time for myself. So I just need to be there with her emotionally. My job is to show her and model for her that while she's having very intense emotions, she's okay. And that's exactly what I said to her. I just said to her, you are having very, very, very strong feelings right now. And she, you know, she felt very validated and she was nodding her head yes. And I would say she carried on for about four or five minutes. She was fine. But she knew at the end of it, I can have very intense feelings and I can be 100% okay. We weren't pushing them away. I was just there with her and she was okay with them. Now, on the topic of hard work being good for us, so one of the things, um, so there were really actually two parts of self-esteem. One part is what we discussed before, which is knowing what your inherent value is. And the other part of self-esteem is um, feeling good about affecting the world around you in a positive way. Meaning, I know, you know, if I worked hard to cook a good dinner and somebody liked it, so then I I get to feel my own value. My, My value is inherent that it never goes away, but it's nice when you get to accomplish things and you get to feel it. So working hard is actually good for kids. Here's the formula for working hard. We want to make sure that we are always challenging our kids just a little bit, whether it's math or social skills or cleaning up or organizing themselves. If we give them jobs that are too hard, they shut down. If we give them jobs that are too easy, they're not motivated. They always have to be challenged a little. So for a child who has, you know, difficulty, let's say, um, cleaning up. So we wouldn't tell the child to clean up the whole room. We would say put away four blocks. You know, and then the child could feel good about accomplishing that. And then you could say, oh, wow, like the room looks already so much neater. Okay, great. Now put away five blocks. Wow, the room already looks so much neater. Now put away seven blocks. And you build them up so that they actually see how their hard work is affecting the world around them. When I was sitting and doing a puzzle with my three-and-a-half-year-old the other day, it was a hundred-piece puzzle. It was hard. You know, she definitely needed my help. And as we were searching for the pieces together, I was out loud modeling for her and telling her, wow, this puzzle is really hard. And she said, you know, she was copying me every few minutes and so she would say, wow, this puzzle is so hard. And then I made sure to stick into it. Hard work is so much fun. We love doing hard things. Hard things are fun. And she started saying that also. So what she got from that is this puzzle is hard and doing hard things is fun. That's the message that we want to give over to our children. We want kids to know that they are 100% valuable and that they are 100% okay. We want to give them... You know, lots of opportunities to do hard work, to be engaged in work that's fulfilling and so that they could see how they're affecting the world around them and that they could enjoy their own self-worth. Now, when it comes to the kids not believing it, sometimes I like to use a metaphor. Um, You know, when you look at something, you look at a sofa and you say to the child, what if I look at the sofa and I say to the sofa, you are a car. Is it going to be a car? So the child goes, no, that's ridiculous. How about if 10 people look at it and say, you are a car? No, that's also ridiculous. You can't change a sofa into a car. A sofa is a sofa and a car is a car, right? So you are a very, very, very valuable human being. It doesn't matter what anybody says or what anybody does. That will never, ever, ever change. And, of course, we want to make sure that when we're engaging with a child and interacting with a child, that we're smiling at the child that shows that we believe that, we're, you know, we're talking to the child in ways that shows the child that we believe that. A really, really nice thing to do to show a child that you actually really believe that they're very valuable is what I call pre-thinking your love. So pre-thinking means that you show your child um, that you are thinking about them when they're not around. And there's different ways to do that. So a couple of examples that I give are when a child is in school or camp, you could leave notes for the child. Um, you could actually tell the child, oh, you know, today when you were in the pool at camp, um, I, I know you always were always swimming at 2 o'clock. I was thinking about you, and I was imagining how much you were splashing around today. It just shows the child, like, when you're not around, I'm thinking about you. Sometimes you could pick up, a, you know, a small and ex- expensive item that, you know, that the child would like, or you could say to the child, you know, I was hoping that tonight we could play a board game together. You want to show the child that you embrace them as an extremely valuable human being, that you treat them like that, that they are that. If you're having trouble with that, I would say um, that you might, be ha- you might be struggling to embrace yourself. You might not see your own value as a human being because what we want to do is we want to send a message to kids that every human being is equally valuable. Everyone has different gifts and everyone has different challenges, but every single human being has what to offer. And every single human being is equally valuable, including ourselves as mothers. We've got to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of our children. Okay, I'm going to open the line to questions now. this is my first time doing this so i'm just trying to figure out how to do this here thank you for bearing with me Okay, if anybody has any questions, okay, here it is, I'm supposed to give you the number, it's 319-527-4160, 319-527-4160. Okay. Any questions? Does anybody have any questions about how to raise resilient children? If you're stuck in a situation where a child is struggling with a certain behavior and you're seeing that the child is shutting down? Okay. Um, while I'm waiting for the questions, I guess I'm just waiting over here you know, um, for things to work out on the technology end. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just things are working out. I'm just figuring out myself how to do things. Um, I'll just continue with a couple more points over here. Um, okay, so we want to make sure that when we're talking to children we're using non-judgmental language. I'll give you some examples of non-judgmental language, but what it does is when we speak to our kids in language that's non-judgmental, it shows the child that we believe that they're doing the best they can with the tools they have. And if they feel that we think that about them, then again, they see themselves as extremely valuable human beings. So here are examples of judgmental language that you want to stay away from. Okay, you don't want to use the words, why did you? Okay, that's judgmental. You know, why did you do that? Why did you speak to your brother like that? Why did you touch him? Why did you leave your homework in school? Okay, another example is you don't want to be telling a child, you know that you're supposed to, right because that tells the child like you didn't know better okay so instead we want to use words like you didn't realize you didn't mean to another example is you should right that's also judgmental I'm judging you and I'm telling you we you should have and lastly we also don't want to be talking about the child in judgmental language even if the child can't hear it like we don't want to be saying to the child we don't want to be saying about the child to other people you know she's impossible uh, I, you know, I don't I don't know why she's like this, because if we feel negative feelings towards a child, the child is going to feel the vibes. If the child is struggling, we simply move away from judgmental comments, like she's impossible or I don't know why she does this. Because the hidden message that a child gets if we use judgmental language is, you know, my mother thinks that I'm only valuable if I perform. My mother thinks that I'm only valuable if I behave. Um, there's a great book, actually. It's called The Speed of Trust. It's written by Stephen Covey who's the same author as The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, One second, somebody's actually texting a question. Um, The same author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he actually says in the book that if you want to get more compliance and you want to get better performance from Anyone, whether, you know, it's in a business, it could be from your employees or if it's in your family, if it's from your children, you have to give them a feeling that you trust them, that you trust them to make good decisions. Because if they feel like you trust them to make good decisions, then they feel like they want to perform for you. Okay. So I am actually seeing now that I have to take someone off mute. Okay. Sorry. Thank you for bearing with me while I learned how to do this. Okay, you're off mute. Okay, what's the question? Hello? 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 Okay, someone just texted me the question. How can a mother make herself feel valuable if she's doing so much and doesn't feel appreciated? Excellent question. Okay, so over here, what's going on, and this happens to a lot of us, is that we weren't made to feel valuable as kids, and then we continue taking that with us throughout adulthood. So what we need to do in such a situation is we now need to recognize that with our adult minds, we're able to rethink that idea is it true that just because I wasn't treated as a valuable person that I'm not valuable absolutely not so even if I'm not appreciated now as an adult I am aware of my own value as adults it becomes our own responsibility to take care of our own needs when people say um, oh you know I'll have time to take care of myself when my kids are older I say no 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 the opposite You have to take care of yourself. I'll have time to take care of myself. When the kids are older, I tell them, no, it's the opposite. You have to take care of yourself now when your kids are little. There's a famous story about a woman after the war. She was left with two kids, and they were starving, and she had one egg. She got a hold of one egg, and the two kids were arguing, Mommy, please grab the egg. Please grab the egg. I'm so hungry. Maybe we'll share the egg. And she looked at the kids, and she said, give me a minute. She was a very wise woman. So she went into another room. She quietly ate the egg. She came out. She said, now I have strength to go get money and to work and to prepare meals for you. And she was able to nurse them back to the health that they needed because she took care of ourselves. We must take care of ourselves. We must appreciate ourselves. We must love ourselves in order to be able to love our children. And that comes from a shift in thinking. So if somebody is not doing this right now, you know, because she doesn't feel appreciated, the new shift in thinking, the new replacement thought is I am valuable even if, I don't get appreciated. I am a valuable person. Every A human being. I'm a human being. You know what a human being is? A human being is, is connected to Hashem. A human being is someone that has the capacity to bring joy to the world. A human being is someone that could create, someone that could create, could give. I am a very, very valuable human being, and I am starting to see that, and I am starting to take care of myself, and the only thing that ever took me away from that was my thinking. My thinking that I'm not valuable. When I was a child, maybe that came from other people's interactions with me. And now as an adult, I'm able to recognize that I still hold on to some of those thoughts and beliefs, and I am ready to let go of them. Let me just see. Is there any other questions? Any other questions about building resilient children? Okay, here's another one. How can I not be judgmental to a teen who is so capable? Okay, we have so with a lot of O's. So the answer to that question is the less you view her as a problem and the more you view her as a person, as a tremendous person, the more capable she will present herself as. Now, right now, it sounds like she's not maybe presenting herself or he's not presenting himself as so capable, but that's only because the child views themselves as a problem and is not seeing their own resilience, their own confidence, their own capabilities. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, on a on a scale of 1 to 100, I know this kid, you know, he or she is so capable of performing at a 97, but don't forget that the child has their own struggles in life, their own challenges in life. So, you might be thinking that they could perform at a 97, and right now they're performing at a 7. But if you start to move towards seeing the child as a tremendous person who's simply struggling and not as a problem, maybe the child could perform at a 47% instead of a 7%. So you might see the child as very, very capable, but we have to realize that if the child is not performing right now, that the child is experiencing some internal struggles. You be there with the child. You understand the child. You don't judge the child. Do not show the child that that you're pushing or that you think that the child should be doing better because all that you know, is crushing to the child and will actually make the child perform less instead of more. Okay, any other calls? Okay, we have a question here. My son had a scary incident at camp where he thought he was drowning in a pool. He wasn't, and now he is terrified of going back to camp. How can we help him get over the traumatic situation? Okay, so when somebody comes to a near-death experience, um, this is going to sound very harsh, but what they need to do is that person needs to become okay with death. Now, it's always recommended to teach kids the truths about death way before tragedy strikes or way before these difficult circumstances come up. Like I would say already when my kids are four years old, they know that we all came from Hashem and we all go back to Hashem. So that way when they hear about these difficult kind of situations, they know that they are 100% okay, that people who leave this world are okay. We're very sad when they leave this world because we miss them, but they are 100% okay and they themselves are okay with the concept of, um, of dying. Uh, drowning is a near death experience. So that's, you know, that's something that you would want to be teaching kids from when they're very young. In terms of getting him back to camp now, it would have to be in small, tiny increments. You would have to, you know, possibly go back to camp. Let's say you could find out from the director if you could go back on a Sunday to go to the campground to get used to the pool a little bit like just with you on very, very comfortable grounds where you're there. Um, so that the child experiences their own success. You can't push it. It has to be in tiny increments. It might be just getting his feet wet, and then, you know, it might be a little, a half hour later, it might be like, till his knees, and then after that, he might be standing. And uh, when he experiences on his own that he is 100% okay in the pool, that's when he'll be ready to go back. In general, we also want kids to know that people, um, people can survive trauma, people do survive trauma. I talk to my kids often about um, people who experience tragedies and are okay. Um, when, when people have a healthy viewpoint about real tra- – I, I don't just mean traumas, but I'm saying about tragedies, what they do is they are – you know, they might be sad, they might be down. Those are all very healthy feelings, and they don't judge themselves when they're sad or down. They know that they're 100% okay and resilient and are able to pick up and move on. Okay, Thank you all for being on the line tonight. Um, I actually have a a course coming up on on emotional detox starting August 5th. It's an online course. It's four sessions. If anybody's interested, you can go onto my website. It's Sassoon at gmail.com. I'm sorry, that's my email address, tamysassoon at gmail.com. My website is TammySassoon.com. two M's, two S's, two O's. And at the emotional detox, we actually, in an interactive way, where you get to speak and ask your questions. Um, We discuss how to remove emotional blockages um, and how to get back to your true nature. Okay. Have a good night, everybody.